So welcome back to the Defiant Spirit. I'm Baruch Levy, also known as B. And if you're watching, you can tell quite clearly that I am not alone today in this podcast. I have my friend, Julie Mouse. Hi, Julie. Hi, B. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. So for those of you who don't know Julie, she's a mindfulness teacher. She's an Enneagram teacher. Um, we have so much in common and also... I know you haven't formally studied Frankel, but I also know you're a big fan, and a lot of your work really revolves around some of my shared um, teachings from him, and we'll get into that. But um, Julie, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. Well, thanks, B. I am so excited to be on this podcast. I um, have been in the mental health field forever. I'm a, a clinical social worker. And about 15 years ago, um, one of my kids was diagnosed with ADHD, and I was looking for non-pharmacological ways to treat it. And when you're late at night, like moms do, trying to problem solve on Google, um, mindfulness just popped up everywhere. And although I was a yoga practitioner and knew something about it, I just I hadn't really developed my own practice. And so I decided to try this. My 10-year-old my wasn't going to try it, but I decided to try it myself. And I was pretty amazed just personally with the benefits of a mindfulness practice. So I kind of shifted gears from psychotherapy to teaching mindfulness as an avenue for mental health. And um, where I intersect with Dr. Frankel's work is that it's exactly that um, that pause that we'll talk about his his big quote, but that pause, that magic that happens when we learn to pause, and it's what you practice when you meditate. Every time you see a thought and you bring your attention back to your breath, you're creating that ability to pause and choose a different way to be. And how does the Enneagram fit into this dynamic practice that you have? Well, so I came upon the Enneagram a little bit later when I was already teaching mindfulness. And as I'm teaching, so again, back to this idea of the pause, as I'm teaching people to use mindfulness as a tool for pausing. It's very clear that it's super hard to do. We have these habitual ways of being and I'd be working with someone and they'd be like, yeah, I know what I, what's going on. I know where I need to shift, but I just keep doing the same thing over and over. And when I learned about the Enneagram, and what the way it relates is that when you know more about yourself, the more self-awareness you have, basically your ability to catch yourself in those situations goes up. If you already know, oh, this is a situation where I don't do so well, your chances of finding that pause and finding that magical ability to do things differently exponentially increases. Hmm. Yeah, I love, I love the idea that, you know, there is not a type there's not a way, there's not a mindfulness practice, right? Everybody's unique, but you know, the Enneagram would, I would imagine would offer us, I know offers us some kind of parameters, some direction of, you know, an eight might struggle in this way, whereas a two might struggle in this way and around mindfulness. So I want to get into that and maybe we can look at some of the different ways mindfulness can be most beneficial to each number. Well, and when, since you brought that up, you know, the next big thing is as someone who's working with people to help them um, create better choices in their life, it's also so healthy to see that everyone does it differently. So that was such great insight for me with the Enneagram is that there are nine different ways that we handle that 
situation. And that understanding is really critical. Let's definitely look at that. And let's definitely talk about um, our collaboration and where we sort of see working together, because not only is Julie a friend, but um, as you can hear, total alignment with values and vision. And um, as we're building up the Meaning Academy, for those of you who haven't heard, started the Victor Frankl Meaning Academy based in Denver, but it's going to be also virtual. And so um, just putting together a team of really inspirational people to bring these ideas out to the world in different ways. We'll talk to you about that. But I'm just so excited to flesh this out with Julie and, and you get to be a part of this great conversation that I know is unfolding. So let's start with um, Dr. Frankel and this quote, because I know um, it's on your website. I saw if you want to check out Julie's website, it's uh, Mindful Mouse, M-A-U-S, is it dot com? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mindful Mindful Mouse. Um, just Google Mindful Mouse. There aren't too many mindful mice <laughs> out there. <laughs> M-A-U-S, not M-I-C. So um, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our freedom and our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our happiness. Let me just say that first line again. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. So tell us more about this this, I want to say verse because it's only holy to me, but uh, this quote. Well, for me, um, when I first met B, I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is where the intersection happens is with Viktor Frankl because I already had that quote on my website. And I every time I teach a mindfulness course, um, I teach eight-week courses where people learn how to make mindfulness a part of their life. I always talk about that quote because the whole... And the course is called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction because it's learning to use mindfulness to reduce your reactivity to stress and how you handle stress. And so uh, about midway through the course, I always pulled this quote out because when I first heard the quote, I thought, oh, that's interesting. Between stimulus and response, there's a space. Yeah, I'm teaching people to find that space so that they can choose a different response. And through mindfulness, you find that space by noticing that you're in a stressful situation and employing a mindfulness technique, like say bringing yourself to your breath, letting your body settle a little bit, and then allowing your frontal cortex to turn back on so you can make a healthy decision. But um, I, it was a while after I heard that quote, but it, before I had the personal experience of that space. And wow, it's really a space. Like if you haven't felt that space, keep working on it because when you feel it, when something happens to you and you pause and you feel all the sensations that are happening, instead of doing what you normally do, you realize, wow, there's space there between when something happens and when I do something. And in that space, I can choose a completely way. I'm not just a puppet on the end of a string who reacts to things the way I, you know, it's just me. It's just Julie. That's how I behave. Actually, I, I'm choosing to do that. And when I find the space that literally you can feel it, it's palpable. The choice can be, might be the same, but it might be different. And that feels so freeing. That right there is just logo therapy in a nutshell. You know, logos means meaning it's meaning centered healing and living. And um, it comes down to what you just said, which is, you know, can you be in that space, take back your power of, you know, we don't we don't control our circumstances. We just don't. We think we do. We're, you know, we're in an illusion that we control, but we don't. All we control is our 
response or lack thereof, which we will call reaction, right? You're either reacting or you're responding. What does logotherapy say about how to catch that space? Because it's so fleeting. I mean, it's so like, oh gosh, I did it again. I know there's some space there, but <laughs> I don't know. How, I, I'll never be able to find it. Um, you know, look, there. It off, uh, Dr. Frankel offered some good techniques and strategies. I would say that isn't necessarily the power of logotherapy. He designed it to be um, a, an adjunct to other traditions, whether it's religion or psycho, um, uh, psychotherapies or other healing traditions. And I do really think it works well. To me, it's more of the, you know, Frankel talks a lot about the why and the how. You know, the why is purpose, it's direction, and the how are all the steps to get there. And Frankel mm -hmm. deals much more in the why. And I think that he helps people really reclaim a sense of why, of purpose. But we need more, you know, Julie's and mindfulness teachers and whatever it might be to show us how to expand the space, I call it. What do you do inside that space? So I and see where the Enneagram yeah. goes so perfectly with, with, uh, the why, because it's each number you learn about why you behave that way. It's rooted in this desire that helps you, like I said, catch it if you're more aware of it. But yeah, mindfulness is more the how, because even physiologically, it's hard to catch it because when we're activated, flight or fight shuts our frontal cortex down. So we almost like can't access clear thinking unless we pause unless we breathe and bring our attention into our body to calm, to literally calm that flight or fight response, which we're capable of doing. We just, you know, we just think, oh, that's just the way I am. Yeah. And so our work, your work is around, okay, that's great. Julian B, you know, between stimulus and response, there's a space and I got to get into that space. Well, what does that look like? How do I experience that? You know, how do I expand the space? Um, what, how do I know I'm in that space? And I, I, you and I have spoken before. You said, you know, um, at a bodily level when you're in that space. Isn't that something you, you've said? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us don't know because you're, we want to get out of it so fast. And part of our reactivity is our body's way of getting us out of that reaction. Mm -hmm. And so we, we do what we do and it gets us out of it. But if we can pause and bring our attention, it's unbelievable what's happening in our body. Now, as a nine, I can see why it was hard for me to sense that space because I don't like discomfort. I don't like feeling uncomfortable. And if I pause and put my attention here, it's really uncomfortable. But if I do my habitual response, I can pretend none of it's happening. So However, just, for our, just for our listeners, a nine is a peacemaker. Yeah, right. right. In the Enneagram world. I'm a peacemaker in the Enneagram, so I'm very conflict avoidant. And so it was really hard to find that space because that meant turning my attention to what I want to avoid the most. Well, also, as you know, as an Enneagram teacher, telling our audience, eight, nine, and one, there, there are many triads on the Enneagram. One of the primary triads, the center of intelligence, how we take in information, process information. Eight, nine, and one, the challenger, the peacemaker, and the reformer, or the perfectionist, are body types and gut types, action types. It's just so interesting because eights go all into action. So like when I'm um, in reaction, when I'm not in that space, I just do. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I'm not even ready. I'm fire, aim, ready. Like I'm fire, 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 
ready, aim. And a, a nine probably goes away from the body and it's more like ready, 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 you know, aim, ready, ready. And a one just goes inwards. They almost turn on themselves and implode. So they're just different ways that we experience ourselves in our body. Mm -hmm. So paying yeah. attention in a different way to each of those. And then so understanding that people do it differently is so valuable too. Because when I see, I, I have a, my husband is an eight. And when I see him going into this reactive, it might be um, a little bit of an intense energy. Instead of being like, what's wrong with him or upset about it? That's a sign to me that he's under stress. Mm -hmm. and so Isn't that interesting? He has the exact opposite response as you probably. Yes, the exact opposite. It's very entertaining in our house. <laughs> I have I have four kids, two daughters. One daughter's a nine, one daughter's an eight. And the eight continuously telling her to take a deep breath, go to her corner. She's 18 years old, right? Like take a time out, you know, before you hit send, before you say that, what are you about to say? And my nine, it's like, say something, do something, use your voice, right? So yeah. their space is totally different, that mm -hmm. space. Right. And it's hard for both of them to catch it, right? Because the nine's avoiding seeing it. And the eight, it's out of their mouth before they can even sense it. And that's the work is expanding the space. So my space used to be a lot less than it is now. I think there's lots of reasons why life kicks you in the butt and, you know, yeah. testosterone drops and all these kind of like things that are just happening. And um, so I, I can see now in her that lack of space when I probably was no different at age 18 and learning how to expand the space. And so I think that that's the work we're all here to do to, to you know, get it bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where we're like, you know, some enlightened Buddha on a mountaintop and totally in control. I'll let you know when that happens. I'm not there. Yeah. Um, Eckhart Tolle, Tolle, I don't know how you say his last name, but Tolle, he talks yeah. about uh, one of Tali. Is that how you say it? I think so. I think. Okay. So he taught in one of his books, he talks about um, how everyone's going to, everyone's going to have something happen to them where they wake up and realize they need to be, stay, pause more or find that space more. And someone, if you haven't had something, he, he says, if you haven't had something happen yet, just wait. Just wait. Just wait, because you're a human, so it's going to happen, right? Um, or you could try and choose to practice now. And when I talk about learning mindfulness, I'm like, if you learn if you learn it without something tragic happening to you, how critical and how important it is to just start pausing every time, say, in a, a little meditation practice where you pause and you put your attention on your breath, say your breath at your belly. And you notice that your attention's been drifting away to something else, like some work assignment you forgot to do. And then you bring your attention back to your belly. You've just exercised your ability to pause. You've just exercised your brain's capacity to come to stillness instead of reactivity. And each time you do it, it's kind of like you're exercising your brain's capacity so that when the stressful thing happens, you pause instead of going down the rabbit hole. I was just speaking with somebody who was kind of challenging challenging me a bit. I think I just um, you know have a sign on my head that says challenger, right? So uh, they just give it to me, no no holds barred. And they said, "You talk about breath so much. Every mindfulness teacher, every yogi, every 
tradition, breath, 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 breath. Why? Like, give me something new, creative, innovative, different. You know, I said, you know, in all candidness, I said, look, do you make love with your spouse? Yes. Do you ever say, you know, we just did that, right? We did, we've done that before. Check the box. We're done. Like the, the, the good stuff in life isn't a checkbox. Each time it's, it's unique and special and nobody says, well, we, we, you know, we did that last year. So the same with breath and, and, and every moment, you know, there's this great Buddhist teaching where basically a few thousand years ago, the, the student says to the teacher something similar and the teacher holds his head underwater, the student's head underwater and he's thrashing around, whatever. And he lets the student up. He says, you know, your breath is pretty special now, isn't it? so but but i you know you've you mentioned breath multiple times so let's let's dig into that why do all these traditions do all these you know practices come back to the breath what is it about the breath well i think of it in terms of like exercise you know we go to the gym you want to get stronger for a sport you do you go to the gym and it's not fun it's boring kind of like the breath but you do it and you get stronger. You want to run a, you know, run a 10K, you go out and you run and you exercise it. You want to be able to know what's happening in your mind. Bring your Every time you bring your attention to your breath, you've just done like a barbell. You've just exercised your brain's capacity to pause. And I'm, this is what we're here talking about. That capacity to pause is life-changing. You get to be the master of what you do instead of you're just habitual. Most of what we do just comes right from this little space, this amygdala space. We're kind of like a puppet on a string and no people don't realize it. And so breath is the space where you can anchor your attention so that you can notice how crazy you are. Because when you try and anchor your attention on your breath, you start to notice, oh, look, I think about that a lot. I think about that. Okay, let's come back to our breath. And it's like you're at the gym and you're just mm -hmm. exercising your capacity to be in charge of you. You're talking about that. It reminds me of the movie with Dustin Hoffman, The Graduate. Do you remember The Graduate? Yeah. yeah. Um, he, he's he's like at this life crossroads. He's got to go out into the world and find his way. And everybody's talking to him, whatever. And he just jumps into the water in the swimming pool. And he just sinks to the bottom. And he just sits there. And you just see him like at peace. And I, I think that. I've thought about that. One of the reasons why he's just, yeah, exactly. He's But he's just holding his breath, right? He's just you know, it's quiet. There's a, there's a, yeah, the stillness. control, a stillness, you know, at the bottom everybody can relate to that. The bottom of a swimming pool for just a few moments. That is such a good visual for what happens. And it's just from like, I mean, obviously he's not breathing when he's underwater, but it's, it's an, the focus on the breath gives you the ability to have the experience that you'd have at the bottom of a pool where you just, are all of a sudden still and watching what's happening instead of actively thinking, doing, thinking, doing, thinking, doing all day long. Well, I mean, you know, not breathing is part of the breathing process. And that's a major piece of the mindfulness practice, as you know, right, is holding the breath, being able to hold it for longer and longer. I forgot the guy's name, the cold bath guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how would you like that to be your legacy? I don't know his name, but the cold, the cold bath guy, right? Um, cold bath guy. <laughs> But I, yeah. he has an app that I was doing for a while. It was helpful. I was like holding my breath longer and longer and longer and longer. And just, it's a control, right? I mean, there's just a control element. When, when my um, youngest was a ba uh, you know, baby, he was at a very young age, he would hold his breath when, when he was crying. And we learned he was manipulating us and he would pass out. 
And the doctor said, we said, what do we do? My son did the same thing. (laughs) It's terrifying. He turns blue and like we were on an airplane the first time it happened. And so we said to the doctor, what do we do? He said, let him pass out. He'll he'll wake up. He's going to hold his breath. You know, it's like it's easier said than done, right? But uh, but the bottom line was there's a controlling element to it. Right. It's, it's, right. All, it's all we control. Yeah. Really, what else do you control other than your breath? Or do you, you know? Yes. And it brings us out of here, putting our attention on our breath. I think some people don't understand because they're like, what do you mean um, take a few breaths? I'm breathing all the time. I don't get it. Like I'm taking a few breaths already, whether you said that or not. And when I, in the very start of um, classes, when I first teach a beginner, I talk about, it's not about taking the breath, it's about putting your attention on the inhale and on the exhale as a way to take your attention off where it usually is, 99.9% of the time, your attention is on your thoughts. And because we're human beings trying to keep ourselves alive, our thoughts are constantly scanning the future. What's could go wrong? Our, my, our thoughts, when we don't, if we're not focused on something, we're scanning our environment. We're thinking about the future. We're thinking about planning. We're constantly, or we're thinking about the past so that we can remember things to keep us safe. Just we've evolved to be that way. We've um, The most anxious people are the people who had children because they survived. They didn't get killed because they paid attention. Well, thus we've evolved to be anxious people. And so the breath is is intentionally stopping that oh, I'm going to bring my attention here. I don't have to think about um, that thing I need to do because 99% of what you think of today, you thought of yesterday already. We just are constantly mm-hmm. cycling, cycling them through, making ourselves crazy. And it's a survival strategy, like you said. You know, that's why I love the Enneagram in its authentic form, not oftentimes the way it's taught, like I am an Enneagram 8. No, it's actually I react, I survive. I, I'm, I'm out running the woolly mammoth as an 8 would. Yeah. 10,000 years ago. Yeah. Who I am. Yes. Well, I think that's why we get so attached to the, to our numbers, habitual reaction. So mine being conflict avoidant or you're being like, Hey, I can, I can catch this woolly man. (laughs) I'm going to kill him and and got dinner for the whole community. And I'm the hero or whatever is because we have this, it has this plus side to it that people give you a lot of praise for. So, I mean, I get a lot of, oh, Julie, you're so easygoing. You're so awesome. Oh, I love calling you. You always make me feel better. So I get a lot of praise for being that way. And so I'm like, why would I want to change it? And it's true. So that keeps us, keeps us from seeing where it's not so good, <laughs> where it gets us in lots of trouble. Um, that's why, as you've experienced, I'm sure when people read the entirety of their Enneagram type, there's the ick factor. And the mm-hmm. ick factor is like, I, I don't, I don't like this number. I don't want this number. Right. It's, and it points out the blind spots. That's, that's the definition of a blind spot. You, you can't necessarily see it if you haven't done the work. And a lot of people don't like that the opposite of the praise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know. I, when I, yeah. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> I wanted to be a seven. Everybody wants to be a seven. <laughs> <laughs> I've never met anybody yeah. who doesn't actually want to be a seven. Maybe a five. That sounds like hell for a five. But yeah, uh, right. nobody, nobody says I want to be an eight hole. 
I don't want to be an eight and just like, you know, tear through life. And I know people do say, I don't know, nines are pretty nice and you know, whatever. But the bottom line is, is um, none of them are us. It's how we've learned to survive. Mm-hmm. And like you say, do you want to live in that place of survival of, of holding, you know, I, I think about like, I caught myself, I was just watching something. It was a scary, it wasn't a scary movie. It was a scary scene. And I'm, you know, doing this work. I paid attention to the fact that I'm holding my breath. Mm. Like, you know, if you look around the audience, I mean, you know, the, the viewers of the movie, I'm sure everybody's holding their breath. How many people actually know they're holding their breath? Yeah. Right. And who's in charge, the director, because he planned it or she planned it. Right. So at this moment you'd end up being scared. Hold, hold your breath, victory. Right. And like, that's fine for a movie, you know, it's entertainment, but do I want to live that way out in the streets, out in the world where everybody's causing me to hold my breath? One step further in that, I, I don't like scary movies and I don't like super violent movies and my kids don't like me watching them with them because they say I always ruin it for them because if there's something that's breath holding or for me, I'm not much of a breath holder, but I literally, I embody the tension that's on the screen. And so I'll be like, does anyone else stomach feel super tense right now? Why, why do they call this entertainment? Do you not notice that this is not fun? So you take them out of their, you know, their moment, right? Like, Mom, you shouldn't watch this with us. I think part of that is it's it's always been interesting to me. This is not necessarily a conversation on the nine, but since you are one, it makes sense. Um, so many creatives are nines. You know, you look at like Jim Henson and George Lucas and Mr. Rogers. I mean, there's so many cre- creative forces that were that are were nines. I think partially there's like an in-tune attunement to that sensitivity. Well, sure. I mean, I think part of the reason I was drawn to mindfulness in it, in addition to just a curiosity from my mental health background is, you know, if the nine's motivation is to find peace, wow, meditation is a pretty awesome place to find peace almost to the extreme. Like I also had to learn to balance that out because, you know, I could have, also taken that to an extreme where, you know, I just, I'm just going to go meditate because nine can use that as a way to avoid. Mm -hmm. But when you are motivated to find peace, it's in that place of pause or in that space that creativity can come in. So when I talked about how 99% of the time our thoughts are on present or future, there's nothing creative in that space. But when you choose to come into, oh, I'm just going to focus on my breath, you almost allow for creativity to arise because you're not thinking about future or past. But if you don't search for that space in your life, it's hard to be creative. You hear musicians talk about that when they're writing. I was just listening to a special with Bruce Springsteen. He was talking about what he had to do to find the space to be creative for one of his albums. And it sounded very much like finding that space so that he could get out of his head and what he thought he should write and get into here and have the music come from there. Yeah. And as you know, part of the work of that nine is to not avoid the conflict. It's also to go into the conflict, right? Because there's juice in there too. And I see nines really come alive when they can hold whatever the space brings, not just the not just the easy, you know, ohm, ohm, ohm space. Yeah. So what Mike, the course I teach, I said, is called mindfulness-based stress reduction. And it's all about learning to be with discomfort. 
how can we not a lot when discomfort arises how can we not do our habitual nine ways of responding to that how can we be with discomfort because there's so much value in the ability not only because it gives you the space to choose something different but it also in like pain so this course i teach started in hospitals for people who had um had chronic pain and this buddhist practitioner john kabat zen thought, oh, I'm going to teach him this mindfulness practice. Um, and he created an eight-week course that they taught at the hospital. And it because he was he really believed that the doctors were missing something in teaching people how to manage pain. Because when you look at pain and you think, oh, pain, what happens? The body responds by tightening up, which causes more pain. Where if you can learn to feel pain and feel the sensation instead and learn to send your breath there and relax into the pain and be with the pain, then the body doesn't tighten up. You allow more blood flow, which reduces the pain. You know, when I struggle with sleep, as an example, um, my first reaction is pop a pill and I have to fight against that. And I do have a, my Ambien, but I moved it away from my bed. It's up in the medicine cabinet. I use it now when I travel because you know, it's just too easy and it's mm -hmm. probably not good on a regular, I'm sure it's not good on a regular basis and it's easy, you know, like I'll just pop that thing, go to sleep as opposed to, you know, I got to do the work, right? Who wants to work at 10 o'clock at night yeah. laying in bed, right. doing my work, paying attention, getting into that space, expanding the space. So, um, we, we have power, we have agency. Yes, we do. Here. I think sleep is such an interesting place to bring a little mindfulness because most, for most of us, not all of us, but sleep issues are because we're thinking, we're in the thinking mind. And every thought you have, your body reacts to. Every thought, there's a reaction here. And so if it's a little anxious or a little spinny on something, the body's reacting and it's not going to go to sleep. And, and so, you know, the center of my work, of Frankel's work, clearly of your work, is to take back your power, your agency, your ability to choose. That's what this whole text is about. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our freedom our, and our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our happiness. This is really about becoming free. You know, so again, yeah. nothing wrong with something outside of yourself to help you, but something um, debilitating if we can't get there without it. Exactly. Exactly. And it comes from the ability to find that freedom. I think, first of all, I think a lot of people don't know that they're not free. They just feel like they're doing their thing. They, they don't realize that they're just responding to chemical reactions going on in here. And then the minute you learn, oh, I could do it differently. It's very challenging. And so practicing in any way, I was just at a yoga class today and they, the instructor was talking to me about, or talking to the group about um, when you're in poses and notice how quickly the mind is talking to you about how you're doing the pose, whether you're doing it right or wrong, whether you should go deeper or not, and see if you can just bring your attention to your body, how it feels. And I'm like, oh, that was such a great cue, trying to get people to notice that even in a yoga class, our mind's up here working, working its thing, and yet we could choose to just bring it here. And in that, that's where you are practicing creating space in your life. And anybody who thinks they're free is not um, awake, because we live in a culture where, you know, 
I'm on Amazon buying crap that I'm like, well, what am I doing? Or I'm eating and I'm not hungry. Mm-hmm. Right. There's so many times during your day you can catch yourself and see you are not free until you are. Like the, our whole conversation is about you, you can be free, but not until you're choosing to eat as opposed to, oh, the Doritos are choosing for me. And that's because I saw them on a, on, a, on a Super Bowl halftime show. And that's because, you know, it's like, how, yeah. where's our power? Where's our agency? Or you're choosing to be up at 10 o'clock at night working on something versus, I'm up at 10 o'clock at night working on something because it was on my to-do list. So I have to finish it. I can't go to bed until I do it. Hmm. Okay. Can you, can um, you choose? And challenging also the language. We'll, we'll have a whole other conversation on this, but I think language really shapes our reality. And when I hear people say something like, I don't have a choice, right? That's a yeah. lie. Yeah. It's a lie. You always have a choice, you know? Yeah. Well, well, B, how could you say that? Like, I'm grieving my loved one. I don't have a choice. You absolutely do not have a choice over whether or not your loved one is alive or dead. You only have a choice of whether or not you follow in their footsteps and die prematurely, or if you live. Like, that's your choice. You know, let's mm-hmm. let's or let's break that down. Let's break it down into a day, into a moment, into an hour, into a moment, right here, right now. Like owning your choice. So in uh, freedom. In Buddhism, there's this story of the um, the two arrows. Have you heard that story? The warrior. Tell us, who tell us the story. The warrior. Uh, so a warrior um, is in a battle and he gets hit in his leg with an arrow. And um, he lies down and he starts going, oh, my gosh, my wife is going to leave me. I'm not going to be able to provide for my children. I'll ne- I won't be able to help out with this war and we're going to lose. And I'm not going to have a job because I'll never be able to walk again. And it's almost as if he took another arrow and and stuck it in his head. The suffering he, he the suffering he was having was more over all the thoughts of the impending doom than the pain in his leg. And the idea of the fable is is we can't stop the the arrows. We can't stop the first arrows in our life, but we have complete choice over the second arrows, over how we react to the first arrows. And then there's some of us who have a second arrow and there was never even a first arrow, you know, like you, you walk into your house and it's a mess. And next thing you know, you're, you've gone into this thing and because you, there's not even a first arrow. It's just that you've created this, my house should look a certain way. Um, and so starting to notice those second arrows and that, that you have a choice over whether you want to do those or not. Again, back. I mean, I just think that's so freeing. I don't have to go down that rabbit hole of my reaction to what's already suffering because life or human, we're going to suffer. Just And all we have is the power to choose our response. And Frankel says, this is yours until your dying breath. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's just always like, oh my God, I have power agency, even on my deathbed. How will I take this final breath? What will I think? What will I, you know, convey? What will I, how will I leave this world? And to me, that's, you know, his, his text, right? In that space lies our freedom and our power. And our power is only and ever choosing our response. Yeah, right. And it's, so when I told the story um, in the beginning about how, when I'd heard that quote and like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But the first time I actually felt it, and I think it was after I'd done some Enneagram work and I, 
It was probably my husband because he's he's definitely loves to trigger me with his like eight energy. You know, he he connects through conflict, and I I you know usually pull away from that. But the first time, maybe he said something that would normally have sent me, and I just sat there and felt the reaction, and then felt, wow, there is a space here, and I can do this differently. I can say, hey, you know that the ouch that was hurtful. I know you don't mean that. Can we can we revisit that without a passive aggressive tone? And then it's it changed me forever because that made me want to find the space again and find the space again because it gave me an ability to be who I wanted to be. Hmm. No matter what he throws at me. <laughs> you hear that, Todd? You hear that, Todd? Bring it on. Bring it on. I'm sure he's listening right now. She's a mindfulness master. Um, yeah. So, well, I think this is amazing. This probably, we could go on forever. We're, we're definitely going to do some more. I wrote down some notes. We're going to do one on the nine different ways to be mindful around, you know, the suffering, how each night Enneagram type experiences it because it's very different. Um, the nine second uh, arrows. <laughs> the nine second arrows. I like that one. Yeah. Writing it down. Um, the body, mind, the, yeah, the mind, the body or gut and the heart and how that impacts our the way we navigate so we have no shortage of things to talk about my friend that's for yeah, sure in that space you can discover so much about yourself and that's what we're going to do so in the meantime anybody who's listening jump over to julie's website again it's is it mindfulmouse.com correct m-a-u-s the german mindful mouse, mouse. um an amazing book, by the way, Mouse, M-A-U-S. Um, so with that, um, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate your wisdom, your, your generosity of spirit, your insights. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, B. Appreciate the opportunity. Right. Namaste. I'll see you next time to all of my listeners. Defy your number and live your spirit.